0: I'm really happy to be with you all today. It's such a privilege to be on the beach and uh, just invite you into a conversation where we, uh, we confront the words and the ways of Jesus and learn together. I hope that some of the things I can say will indeed engage. And let me just say that I will do most of the talking, right, because i got a microphone. But I know that you'll be talking, too, in your head and I just invite that to ask questions, to push back, to wonder, what does this look like. Um, you know, for all of us, I think especially for those who are in adolescence, we, we, we ask big questions of life. And I think it starts when you as a kid and you probably remember this You begin to ask, where do my parents stop, and where do I start? You know, and every kid's got to go through that transition, right, of finding themselves. And I think the three big questions that we continually ask ourselves over and over again is, who am I? That's our identity. What can I do? That's our purpose. And where do I fit? And that's our belonging. I'd like to encourage those of you who are parents of teenagers to have an eagle eye for your kids wrestling with those questions, and when you see them getting good answers, you affirm the heck out of that, because there's a lot of people who are willing to give them some pretty sketchy answers. So it's really intense when we're teenagers, but I think these questions percolate up in our lives all through the years, especially if you go through a crisis. Some people talk about the midlife crisis, right? Well, if you haven't experienced a crisis yet, you're lucky. And let me just say, it's on its way. It's going to come. I want to say also thank you to my River Church family because I had a crisis March 18th, 2020. My wife died. Dark, dark, dark valley of the shadow of death and you've been my friends and God has been faithful and I'm on a I'm I'm on a brand new journey a new chapter in the book that God's writing the story of my life and intersection with Cynthia and all of you it's a new chapter it's a new trail it's unknown I don't know where I'm going and at my age I'm still having to ask these questions who am I what what can I do? What am I supposed to do? And, and now without Cynthia, where do I fit? So they keep coming back to us over and over again. And for those of you that are recently out of college, you're about to get out of college. I mean, I think people in 20s, early 30s, I think the answers to these questions are really hard to come by in the world we live in today. Primarily because I think that a lot of the structures, a lot of the people, a lot of the resources that used to all be in alignment to help young people grow into adulthood. A lot of those things have just been fractured, taken away, dismantled. It's as if sometimes you can feel like, does anyone see me? Does anyone care? It is hard to grow up today. And easy for older adults to put that on younger adults. No, uh uh-uh, no, it's hard. We ask, how do I figure this out? Who am I? Why why am I on this planet? (laughs) Why am I taking space on the sand? And there's so many voices, there's so many agendas that wanna tell you who you are and what you should be doing. I read this psychologist um, who appeared on the Today Show. She said, there are a million ways to make a living, but so what? The missing piece is purpose. How are you going to offer yourself, your gifts, your passions, your interests to the world? And we at the River Church, we're trying to be followers of Jesus. We're trying to follow his words and his ways and so we're in this series the stories that form us because our stories are always forming us there's stories out there they're shaping us they're forming us what story is forming you and we want to we want to learn from jesus so we're asking the question can jesus show us the way how how did jesus discover his identity and his calling and so that's why i want to invite you into this conversation as we look at some scriptures I want to ask you or invite you, if you've got a copy of the Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 4. Really pivotal, important marker in Jesus' life. Luke chapter 4, and we'll roam around in here for a little bit. I'm going to read Luke chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 16. The heading in the NIV Bible is Jesus rejected at Nazareth. So, Jesus, he he went up to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. This is his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. Now, Jesus stood up to read. When a visiting rabbi like Matt Brooks comes into the community, you will often invite them to stand up and read and say a word like we did with Matt this morning. It's a respectful thing to do. We want to hear what you have to say. So Jesus was invited and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unruling it, he found the place where it is written. And now he goes to Isaiah chapter 61, and he quotes. And this really is sort of the, the kernel of our series. It's asking the question, what can we learn from Jesus and his practices as he tapped into the ancient scriptures? And here, he quotes from Isaiah 61. And this is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then He rolled up the scroll. Gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And rabbis usually sat to speak. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, and he said many other words, but he began by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he dropped the mic. Every Jew knew that Isaiah 61 was a passage that focused on God's decisive decision to restore everything to bring his kingdom in a powerful way. He was gonna do it through a person, through this mysterious person that sometimes we call the suffering servant. Others called him the, the Messiah. He was in the prophetic tradition. They were waiting, they were anticipating. They were under the oppression of the Romans. They wanted release and relief from their captivity and their poverty. And Jesus said, I'm the one I'm the one who Isaiah is talking about. Did you notice all kind of the language that is focused on identity and calling and mission that Jesus used in quoting Isaiah 61? So I want to suggest that Jesus discovered his identity and his mission in this and other Old Testament scriptures. But I want to give a bit more, uh, like a fuller picture of what's surrounding this moment when he quoted from Isaiah 61. Some of the context of the other stories that Luke gives us in order to help us. And there's two decisive events that happened before he went into Nazareth. And the first one is Jesus' baptism. And if you're looking at your Bible, just look at chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized by John in the Jordan, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and get this, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. I love you, my son. I love you. And not only do I love you, I really like you too. Notice the Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. It's a marker. It's a calling. It's a decisive moment as he goes under the waters of baptism And comes up and the Holy Spirit shows up and the voice of his heavenly Father speaks deeply into his heart. Jesus' identity and mission was grounded in the love of the Father. And friends, that is where it starts for you and me. Have you heard the voice of your heavenly Father tell you, in spite of any other thing in your life, I love you. And not only do I love you, I kind of like you. I like spending time with you. Our Father is leaning toward you. And then it goes on to say, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. I don't know, there's something about turning 30. It's really a big deal. The second big event, if you just keep going to chapter 4, verse 1, was he's tested in the wilderness. And notice the Spirit again, verse 1 of chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. So he's been baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him, now empowered, fueled by that same Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan and was led by the same Spirit into the wilderness. Wow, the wilderness has been such a, a metaphor for us in the pandemic, and especially for me. Losing Cynthia, I have been wandering in the wilderness, and I'm struck. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Now, James is going to tackle this passage next week, and let me just throw him a challenge. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was tested and tempted by the devil. Will you... Please explain what that means, because I can't figure it out. How do those two things go together? So there you have it, James. Get on it. <laughs> but if you read the testing, and maybe you've, 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 you're familiar with this experience of Jesus in the wilderness with the devil, fasting for 40 days, hungry, and the devil's going after it. He's going after his identity and his calling right and left. Like, who, who do you think you are? What kind of a, of a leader are you going to be? What kind of a person are you going to be at 30 years of age? What's your life going to be? Why are you here? And he was tested and tempted sorely by the devil. And what did Jesus do? He used his memory and his understanding of scriptures from the book of Deuteronomy to challenge every single testing. And it wasn't just that Jesus was like, "Uh, I wonder what I should say. I remember this verse from Sunday school. No, he was steeped in the ancient scriptures. And he had put them into practice. They were so embedded in his life. And then not only in his life, it wasn't just head knowledge, but in Jesus' response in his relationship to the father, that it was a automatic response to the evil one. Jesus' identity and his calling was tested. It had to be tested. You know what? So is yours. You got to go through the testing. Testing is actually quite vital. I remember when I was 30 years old, I worked at a church in the Bay Area. I was fresh out of seminary. I was doing youth ministry. I was loving it. And then things didn't go quite well in that church. And I began to be tested sorely. In fact, there was a point in time where I thought, maybe I'm just no good at youth ministry anymore. Maybe I'm done. Maybe I'm too old. Maybe I don't have what it takes. Maybe I'm not supposed to be a pastor I was so full of self-doubt, and eventually Cynthia and I decided, we just have to leave this place. It's sucking life out of us. So I resigned. And we came back down here to Southern California, where we lived for a year. I went back to school for a year, just wondering, God, what, who, who am I? What, what am I supposed to do? And I was a year of testing, a, a year of refining, and I read and studied and prayed and and God worked in my heart. He rejuvenated my love and my passion for kids. I went back into the local church as a youth pastor. I served as a youth pastor for 35 more years. Yeah, Oh, thank you, James. Yes, yeah. No, it could have all gone away. It could have gone away because the devil was saying, who do you think you are? So the wilderness is confusing. Tested by the devil, but designed by the Spirit. I don't know. I don't know. So now he goes to Nazareth. All right? Okay, so you've got the context. There's baptism in the Spirit. The Spirit pushes him out into the wilderness for this time of testing. And now he goes to Nazareth. Look at verse 14 of chapter 4. So Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, having come out of the testing in the wilderness. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was electric. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And thus he comes to Nazareth and he speaks in their synagogue. Right? They hand him the scroll of Isaiah. He turns to the place where he can then read Isaiah chapter 61 and the first couple verses. And then notice verse 22. Of chapter 4. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But then they said this. This is key. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? What does that really mean, all these gracious words? Now, they looked at Joseph, whom they'd known as a little boy, and they said, hold the phone. Who does this guy think he is? You know, that often happens when you grow up in a community and the adults know you and remember you as a squirrely, little, irresponsible kid and then you begin to step into your calling and they go, "Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I can't see you in that role of leadership because you're too young. You've done too many stupid things. And often the elders will Keep you in that place you were in, in their own mind. Keep you in a box. And that's exactly what these hometown people were doing to their hometown boy. And so I don't know that they were so impressed with his gracious words as much as they were saying, Who do you think you are to offer the grace that's given in Isaiah chapter 61? And then in verse 23, Jesus calls them out. Now, I won't read all of it. You can read it. Even while I'm talking, you can read it. Or you could also check your Instagram while I'm talking. Or you could do your shopping list while I'm talking. I know all those things are happening. But just engage me with Jesus and his pursuit of his own identity and his calling. He calls them out. You know, a person with a strongly settled sense of their identity and a calling from God on their lives, they can call other people out. And when you're around that kind of a powerful person, it's a beautiful thing, though sometimes threatening. And Jesus calls the people of Nazareth out. And what he does is he basically identifies himself in the long line of these powerful prophets, namely Elijah and Elisha. And he gives two illustrations by way of accusing the people in Nazareth, his hometown folks, he's accusing them of being just like Israel during the time of Elijah and Elisha. One of the most spiritually impoverished, dark, bereft times in the history of Israel. And he's basically saying, you know what? You all are just like those people back then. And then he has two illustrations. He said, Elijah, he he went to a woman, a widow. He says, there were tons of widows in Israel, but Elijah didn't go to them. He went to a woman who was a non-Jew, who was a widow, a woman of low status. No, 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 she didn't. He he didn't come for us. He, He went for the outsider. And then he uses Elisha as an example. And he says there were lots of people with leprosy in in, in Israel at that time. But did Elisha go to any of the people in Israel with leprosy? No, he didn't go to any of them. He went to a non-Jew. He went to a Syrian with leprosy, emphasizing the fact that this guy was an outsider. So Jesus is saying by quoting Isaiah chapter 61, you think this might be for you. It is for you, but it's for a whole lot of other people. The good news to the poor that Jesus talks about, embraces the widow, the unclean, the Gentile, those of the lowest status, the outsiders. And not just the people who are poor economically, though it included that. And my friends, it can include each one of us today because in so many ways, we are poor. In so many ways, we feel like we're in captivity. Like life has been so difficult on us. This good news comes for you. But they in Nazareth were missing it. They said, wait a minute. The person in Isaiah 61 is supposed to come for us, not them. They're outsiders. They're unclean. They're not part of our group. And what do they do? They yank him out of the synagogue and they march him up to a cliff and they threatened to throw him off. Now, this is, a, this is a great story, okay? All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Hey, welcome to your ministry, Jesus. It's off to a good start. And then it says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I would have loved to have seen that. How did Jesus, in the grips of this furious crowd who are threatening to throw him off the cliff? It's not that hard. Folks, you can do it, all right? And Jesus slipped through the crowd. Like, slippery Jesus. You know, it's just... So what I'd like to do is um, is learn from Jesus um, as we try to clarify our mission and our identity. And here's, here's four very brief observations. There could be a lot more. In fact, I hope in your grounded group you'll go, oh, wait, I got some more, I got some more thoughts. And by the way, a sermon on the beach where we sit and listen to a guy talk a lot and then do nothing with it, it's like a vapor. Because tomorrow morning, you won't remember what I've said. I probably won't. But when we engage it and talk with people and dig in, that's, that's why we get together. Whether you do it over lunch today, whether you do it in your own mind this week, as you chew over it or meet with a grounded group or another group. That's where we take the things we hear and the spirits percolating in our brains. That's where we get it down to our behavior, where then Jesus is able to confront the devil with the scripture. So I encourage you. Yesterday, I listened to a podcast by John Mark Comer. He's doing a short six-session podcast on his new book, Tell No Lies, and he was interviewing David Brooks the New York Times columnist and they were talking about the difference between a uh, a resume identity or a eulogy identity the resume identity is hey look at me i'm the greatest you should hire me the eulogy identity is what is said about you when you're dead and there is a world of difference between the 30 year old sliding that resume now it's electronic over to their future potential boss. And when you stand up and you talk about that guy 30, 40, 50 years later at the end of his life, that's where you get down to who you really are. Not just what you did, not just your performance, but who you are in your core and why you lived on this planet. We need answers to that. We have to have that in the deepest part of our gut. I know why I'm here, and it's hard to get there. Okay, number one, four, real quick, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was absolutely essential in Jesus' life. A conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. His presence, his power, and his purpose. The purpose of God through the activity of the Holy Spirit. Jesus dared not leave his house in the morning without intentionally saying, I yield myself to you, O Holy Spirit. Fill me, guide me, lead me. I will not go out into this world and try to do this on my own. Oh, Holy Spirit, descend, come, lead, empower. He is a resource that you and I as followers of Jesus can tap into. And he's the one that helps us hear the Father's voice. In the midst of your day, I love you. And I really like you. And I am your your cheerleader. I'm your power. We can do this. I'm with you. Secondly, the scriptures, the Holy Spirit and the scriptures, and they go together so closely. Jesus saturated his life in the scriptures. We call it God's word. What are the cultural narratives that you listen to the most? And you usually know the cultural narratives that you're listening to that are influencing you because they're the knee-jerk reaction that comes out of your spirit and out of your mouth when you're challenged, when you find something you disagree with, when you're in a tough spot. Whatever comes out, that probably is tied to some story that has been shaping you. What are the stories that are shaping you? It's why we've named this series, The Stories That Shape Us. Because they're stories every day. Every day we hear them. And sometimes we have to be very, very disciplined and, and restrictive and put boundaries on what kind of unhelpful stories are filling our minds and our hearts. And the most important, the most important alternative is to have God's Word just so steeped in our minds and our thinking and our hearts. So there's a a personal relationship with God's word where we just read it. We read it, we pray over it, we journal over it. And Jesus did that. He did that. He knew the Bible, and it had not just been in his brain, but it had gotten down into the very marrow of his bones so that he responded with God's with God's understanding and awareness of this world. So again, Jesus would not dare at all to go into his calling and relate to people in his work world without dependence on the Holy Spirit and the richness of God's word just flowing through his veins like blood. So then the third Uh, And fourth, they kind of go together. And these two are not in contrast to the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures. But the the third and fourth are the testing in the wilderness and opposition from those closest to him. And again, remember, the Holy Spirit was involved by prodding him and pushing him and compelling him into that time of testing in the wilderness. But opposition from those closest to him. And it's going to be the same for us. The times of wilderness where we are tested, where our sense of self is clarified. And this is weird. This is very, very strange. Like, I think I'm a pretty nice guy, I'm pretty likable. And I I don't perceive that I have that many enemies. But it's been weird to discover that I do. I have people that don't like me. I think, really? It's hard. It's hard to discover that someone doesn't like you. In fact, it's really hard to discover that someone actually opposes you and would like to defeat you and derail you. That's not very fun. Now, some of you have some enemies because you're just dang prickly and you need to just relax a little bit, right? You know, don't do so many stupid things. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There's opposition. There's opposition to your identity and purpose and friends. I want to tell you this. It's a war. There is a war and it's a supernatural war. It's being it's taking place in the heavens. Read about Job. There is a war on you to seed your mind with doubt and discouragement and who do you think you are and you can't do that and everybody else is better than you and i have nothing to contribute that is a lie from the pit of hell and you have to go to war with the holy spirit and the scriptures to say i will not believe that lie and you have to do it every day and don't leave your house until you say holy spirit fill me Purge me of this terrible thinking. May I trust in you. Again, it's a mystery. The devil wants to defeat. And through the same experiences, God designs it for good. And that's why we come to this table. That's why we come to this table. Because we are poor. We're the poor people that Jesus said... I'm the guy who's come to bring relief to the poor. And that table represents the broken body of Jesus. And his shed blood. And I'll say this with so much loving kindness. If we don't think we need to come to this table with open, broken hearts, then we're on our own. But followers of Jesus can come with their heads held high I need you, Jesus. I need what you've provided on the cross. Because I know you love me. I know you've given me a calling in this world, and I want to step into that with confidence. But I'm broken. I'm poor. I'm ill-equipped. And Jesus said, I have come for you. I will help you. That's what the gospel, the good news is all about. And so this morning, you're invited to bring this juxtaposition of, I am somebody important. I can't do it by myself. So Jesus, I come to you. I yield to you. I rely on you. And so I take this funky little wafer that is sealed in that top part of this dumb looking prefab cup. I hate it. I can hardly wait till we have real good bread. And someday at the kingdom, in the supper, there'll be real wine too. But for now, we just do Welch's, okay? And you take that little wafer and you say, this is hard to imagine, but I I know this symbolizes your body. And you peel back and not spill that grape juice on you. This represents your blood, Jesus. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to live into this. I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a body and blood person because I need this. So let me pray. I'm going to go back here and try to turn on a song. And then when you want to, um, you come. Or not. You just do business with God and with each other. Jesus, thank you. Lead us by your Holy Spirit. And may we, as we move into this week, God, be a people who, though poor in spirit, are bold to do your bidding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.